You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So how many of you are on social media? You're on Instagram, Twitter, what used to be Twitter, now it's X. So I don't know if you send out tweets or do you send out Xs. I don't know how that works. And maybe you're on Facebook. In all of those formats, how many friends do you have? Dozens? Hundreds? Thousands? Those are your friends? Okay, brace yourself. I'm going to give you a little bit of bad news. I don't think they're all your friends. I don't think when your birthday comes, you need to call up Publix and ask, how big of a sheet cake do I need for my 3,127 friends? Because it's my birthday. They all love me. How big of a cake do I need? They're not all your friends, right? Like when you're going to move, they're not all going to show up to help. But here's what we've done. We've taken the word friendship and the concept of friendship and applied it to any and all relationships. And let me just say that true friendship takes more commitment than that, right? You're like, well, we're friends. I moved my thumb once. We're friends. A real friendship takes more than that. We have a whole lot of relationships, but not all are friendships. So today I want to talk a little bit more about friendship, and it starts with the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that means that our God is a friend group. That he is loving and in relationship. And he made us in his image and likeness to be in relationship. So we are relational beings by nature. And then God, the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, enters into human history. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have kids. But he has 12 friends. Call them his disciples. That's Jesus' friend group, and one of them is a total dud. And what that tells you is you're going to have at least one dud in your friend group, and you can't blame it on Jesus. Maybe you've had friendships that haven't ended well. Maybe that's your fault. Maybe not. Jesus was a perfect friend and was a perfect friend of Judas. They just didn't have a good friendship because Judas wasn't a good friend. A friendship takes two people. In addition, Jesus did have three friends that were his nearest and dearest, Peter, James, and John. They were there for sacred moments that others didn't have access to. So just looking at the example of Jesus, we need to have a relationship with God as he is in heaven and then relationships with those around us, we can accept that some of those relationships will not end well. And in addition to this large group of friendships, we have a few that are our nearest and dearest, those that we pull in closest to us. And if you're looking for one book, in fact, the best book in the history of the world on friendships, it's a book called Proverbs, which is actually a collection of wisdom sayings and A lot of those wisdom sayings are about relationships. For example, Proverbs 18, 24. 
One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What he's saying is, be friendly with all, but friends with a few. This is the example of Jesus. He is friendly with all. Thousands in crowds come to him, but he is really a friend with a few. And the way this works is that we tend to think of our relationships as lasting our entire lifetime. That's not always the case. Maybe they're only for a season of life. How many of you, when you're in high school, you had some really good friends that now you're not so close with? Like if you go back and look at your high school annual and you read in the back, you're my best friend. I love you. Friends forever. You never leave. You look now and you're like, who was that? I don't even remember who that is. So it's not necessarily one friendship for all seasons of life. He does say, however, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know who your nearest and dearest friends are because they endure through all seasons of life. My wife, Lori, and I, we were best friends in our 20s, our 30s, now in our 40s. Okay, we're past our 40s. We've been friends for a long time. That's someone who sticks close. And let me say this, relationships take a lot of time, energy, money, and you're a limited person. You don't have a whole lot of that as output. There's only so much time, so much energy, so much money that you can pour into relationships and that those that are deep relationships take deep deposits. And if you have a whole bunch of relationships you're trying to make deposits into, chances are they're not very deep. Some of us are extroverts and we can handle many relationships. Some of us are introverts and we can't handle as many. But every one of us has a relational capacity. We have a limited amount of close-knit relationships that we can really handle. It's been said that the average person in a year has between 500 and 2,500 people they are acquainted with and interact with. That's a lot. If you're a student, if you're a student at a large school, that number's a large number. If you're into sales positions, that's a large number. If you're in ministry, there's a large number. But 500 to 2,500 people a year, you have some involvement and interaction with. Now, on top of that, in an average week, 40% of our emotional work and energy goes to just five people. 40% of our emotional energy goes to five people in a week. And so it's this understanding that we should be friendly with all, but for a variety of very practical reasons, we can only be true, deep, real friends with a few. And what happens is, so we only have this one category of relationship, we call it friendship, and it can lead to some people thinking, well, I thought we were friends, wouldn't you be available to me and do this and do that? Well, maybe I used the wrong word for that relationship, and so you've got this expectation, 
that has set it up for disappointment. So the next principle I want to talk to you about is how relational priority is necessary. So your first relationship is with the Lord, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They've invited you into their friend group. So you repent of your sin. You receive Jesus by trusting in him. You receive the Holy Spirit. God becomes your father. And ultimately, your relationship with the Lord is your priority. That's why we started this whole series on marriage with that principle. Time with the Lord, talking with the Lord, listening to the Lord, Bible reading, prayer, worship, so that you have love and grace and mercy and forgiveness to dole out to others. And then if you're married, it's your spouse. If you've got kids, it's your children. Maybe it's your grandkids. Maybe it's aging parents. It's close friends. These are the people that you have determined are safe and healthy. And then we have all these other kinds of relationships. Mentors, coworkers, neighbors, acquaintances, professionals, you know, like doctors, lawyers, accountants, mechanics, plus extended family, distant relatives, even enemies, those that you don't want to be in a relationship with. So with all of that, Let's talk about what makes a bad friend, and then we'll talk about what makes a good friend. So what makes for a bad friend? Proverbs talks a lot about this. I'm going to give you a few. Number one, smothering. Smothering makes for a bad friend. Here is Proverbs 25, 17. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you, and they will hate you. (laughs) That's a wise saying, isn't it? This is where it's like, okay, enough already, too much. You're in my house again. You're in my wallet again. You're on my phone again. You're killing me, Smalls. So let me explain this. The Bible has only one human friendship that's designed to be one. What is it? It's husband and wife. That means in a friendship... You have a life, I have a life. You have a bank account, I have a bank account. You have a house, I have a house. Sometimes they intersect, that's a friendship. A marriage is we have a life. We have one house. We do one life together. People who smother don't understand the difference between friendship and marriage, and they think that they should have the same level of access and intimacy as a marriage. They're not the spouse, right? They're not the spouse, and so they get hurt. They're like, well, I thought we were friends. We are. We're not married. A friend who smothers is wanting the same kind of relationship that is only for a marriage. Number two. Flattering, flattering makes for a bad friend. Proverbs 26, 28, a flattering mouth works ruin. Some of you have the gift of encouragement and you like to bring hope and and joy to others. Flattery is almost the manipulation and opposite of that gift. A flatterer compliments You, look, great, you're so smart. There's no one like you. You're the best person I've ever met. And you know what? I need your help. (laughs) Thank you for being the kind of safe, generous person that you are. 
Can I have a thousand dollars? What a flatterer does is build you up to set you up. That's what they do. A flatterer is someone who pretends to care about you. They're really just seeking to manipulate you. That's not a friend. That's a fake friend, a pretend friend. Number three, how about a gossip? Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Gossip is triangulation. So you tell me something, a little secret, a bit of information that's personal, private, and I'm supposed to be a bank vault and hold on to that information so that we can have a safe relationship and you can tell me your struggles. And gossip is when I use that information to abuse you with. Oh, you want to know something? So-and-so said that. All of a sudden, that becomes an unholy alliance. That's an ungodly relationship. And it's why the Bible talks a lot about gossip and has nothing good to say about busybodies. So let me say this to you busybodies. Social media is a bad tool for you. Just realize if someone said something to you in confidence, if they said something to you in confidence, that is not your news to share. And then number four, anger makes for a bad friend. Proverbs twenty two twenty four. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Some of you have learned in relationships that if you're angry, you can control, you can manipulate. And people won't want to come to you for things. They won't confront you. They won't talk to you. They see that you're kind of volatile, and that means that you're stubborn and you're selfish. That's your way of being stubborn and selfish. For others of you, that's your way of being domineering and high control. It's threat of fear and punishment. You know, don't make me angry, or I'll come back at you so hard your head is going to spin. That's a domineering overbearing person. All right, so what makes for a good friend? Number one, friendliness. Proverbs 18.24, which you've already seen, but this time in a different translation, it says this. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Someone's like, I don't have any friends. Why? Well, I, I come to church and I just look at the ground and then I'm texting on my phone about how lonely I am and somebody tried to come over and talk to me. I ignored them and I, I just don't think I have any friends. Well, you know why? Because you're not very friendly. You don't make eye contact. You're not returning phone calls. You're not available. What else makes for a good friend? One who is wise. Let me say this. It is a lot of effort to have a relationship with a foolish person. It's less effort to have somebody with a wise person because the drama factor is so much lower. Proverbs 13.20. Walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. If you pick someone who's wise and you seek to be wise... You're like, hey, let's pray together. Let's, let's hold each other accountable. 
I'll tell you what I'm reading and learning, and you tell me what you're reading and learning, and we will spur each other on toward love and good works. Wise people are a lot easier to have a relationship with, and those relationships tend to be less drama, less conflict, less demand, less expectation, and they go deeper faster. So if you want to have better relationships... Seek to be a wise person and seek to have wise people around you. Number three, a good friend loves at what times? Here's Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. The bad days, your friends are the people who are walking towards you and everybody else is walking away from you. Oh, you got cancer? You lost your job? You going through a divorce? Some people walk away as they're saying, hey, just let me know if you need anything, which is their way of saying, don't call me, I'll call you. Real friends stick by you and do things. The Puritans used to call, um, used to talk about swallow friends. Swallows are birds that leave in the winter. So swallow friends are like, well, it's winter. I'll see you when it gets nice again. You see, hard times don't change your friendships. They reveal them. You can't lose your friends. Your real friends are those that are there in the hard times, in the adverse seasons. You know why Lori and I are best friends? Because she's still there. It's devotion. And here's the good news about friendship. A friendship makes the good times twice as good and the bad times half as bad. In the good times, it's someone saying, hey, let's celebrate. And in the bad times, it's someone saying, you're not alone. What else makes for a good friendship? Love. Speaking of friendship, love, marriage, for how many of you, when you got married, this was your marriage passage? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Just so you know, that's Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing. The love of Jesus never ends. If you were to ask, well, am I a loving person? Put your name in there and see if it fits. Am I patient and kind? Am I arrogant or rude? Do I insist on my own way? Do I hope all things and endure all things? Can you count on me or at some point is my commitment to you going to come to an end? You see, love is an action before it is an emotion. And a real friend says, I'm going to try to love you just as Jesus loves me. Now I want to talk about marital friendships. 
the first friendship, humanly speaking, is between a husband and a wife. So God makes Adam in his image and likeness. God says that everything he made is good. Sin is not yet entered into the world. But there's one thing that God says is not good. Genesis 2.18. It is not good for the man to be alone. So God says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. So God does that. Adam needs someone else. Adam has God over him. He's got creation beneath him, but he's got no one alongside of him. So God says, I'm going to make a woman. They're going to get married, and that will cure the loneliness problem. So the first human friendship is between a husband and wife. And I love this definition of marriage. It comes from the lips of the bride in the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 16. She says of her husband... He is my lover and my friend. What a great definition of marriage. Lover. That's unique. It's emotional. It's intimate. It's private. It's not every relationship. He is my lover and he is my friend. If you wish to have better intimacy, it starts with friendship. It's friendship that leads to intimacy. That's why when the Bible says, husbands, love your wives, the wife hears, be my friend. We've talked about in this series, praying together. You'll do that if you're friends. Worshiping together. You'll do that if you're friends. Reading the Bible together. You'll do that if you're friends. Forgiving one another. You'll do that if you're friends. But what happens is a lot of couples, they don't have that friendship, so nothing really comes together. Well, in a marriage, the friendship means that you need to be aligned. You need to have integrity. You need to be in agreement. You need to be together. You need to be one. Building that friendship. And then you're like, you know what? We can talk about the pain. We can forgive that past hurt. We can overcome that obstacle. And until you're friends, you can't deal with any of those issues. And that explains a lot of the pain problems in relationships. So let me share with you three kinds of marriage postures. There's back-to-back, there's side-to-side, and there's face-to-face. Back-to-back is literally, I'm done with you. Have you ever said this? Don't raise your hand, but maybe you said, hey, I'm out. This is where you're back-to-back. You're literally back-to-back. They call, they text. You don't want to respond. You're not talking to them. Bedtime comes, you're quiet, you roll over. Maybe they'll just ignore you, I hope. I hope they'll think that I'm asleep. Or they go to sleep on the couch. You go to sleep on the couch. That's back-to-back. That means you're adversarial, you're, you're enemies, there's conflict. Next is shoulder-to-shoulder. This is where we got a lot of work to do. We're co-workers. Now, marriage has a lot of shoulder-to-shoulder. 
We've got to pay bills. We've got to get the groceries. We've got to raise kids. You've got to clean the house. We need to serve the Lord. There's a lot of work to do, and a lot of it is shoulder to shoulder. And what happens is, what holds many, if not most marriages together, is shoulder to shoulder, raising children, being involved parents. And as a couple gets older, you're like, well, how did that marriage end? Why did they get divorced? They did such a good job raising their kids. You know why? Because it was all shoulder to shoulder. We're raising the kids, the kids left, and you're all I've got left. It's because there's not a friendship. Look, shoulder to shoulder is required. But if that's all you have, it's not going to be endearing and it's not going to be enduring. Now, let me say this for you women. Understand that most men's relationships are shoulder to shoulder, literally. Tell me about your friends, husband. Well, Jack and I were in the military together. Johnny and I go duck hunting together. Tom and I eat chicken wings and watch fights. And when people bleed, we get closer. Men, we know that chickens gave their life for the Super Bowl. And we're going to eat and we're going to watch it. Oh, and when we ride to work, well, Joe and I, you know, he sits there. I sit here. It's shoulder to shoulder. And the wife will be like, well, well, tell me about him. I'm like, what do you mean? Is he tall or short? I don't know. Does he have a beard? I don't know. I don't even know he has a head. You guys don't look at each other? No, no. And if Joe looks at me and he gazes at me, somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> shoulder to shoulder, right? And then there's face to face. Women build relationships face-to-face. How many of you men, if you talk to a friend that's out of state, you don't Facebook? You don't FaceTime, I'm sorry. You don't Skype. You don't, you, I don't need to see them. Women are more prone to the face-to-face online or in person. It's like, I, I need to see them. I need to see their reactions. I want to I I get their facial expressions. We need to talk and catch up. So men, we need to understand to have a friendship with our wife, it's going to require some face-to-face, which means date night is not, hey, we watch TV together. A lot of men would say, no, I'm a good husband. I work hard for my family. That's good, but we need to add the emotional work. You see, face-to-face, that is the Bible's description for friendship. In Exodus thirty-three eleven, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face as one speaks to a friend. 1 Corinthians 13 says that one day we will see Jesus face-to-face. That's the Bible's language for friendship. So let me close with this. How do you have a friendship, especially in marriage? And those of you that are single, 90% of you will marry. So pick somebody who's a friend because it's not going to be all romance. Sometimes you're going to have to go to the grocery store. You're going to have to do laundry. You're going to have to do life together. 
Last passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Go eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. So if you believe in God, God loves you, God forgives you, he already adores you. Always be clothed in white, that is, repent of your sin, you're forgiven, you're clean, you're righteous in the sight of God, and always anoint your head with oil, which is symbolism of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Enjoy life, meaning obey God, do the right thing with a clear conscience, but enjoy life. How many of you don't enjoy life? But it's not just enjoy life. Look at the fuller part of this verse. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. Meaningless comes from a Hebrew word, havel, which literally means mist, vapor, smoke. Ultimately, it means fleeting, brief. And what that means is this life goes so fast. I mean, how many of you have noticed that? You're like, I, I went to bed as a toddler and I woke up, I'm in a nursing home. That's just two days. I went from diaper to diaper. It was that fast. And of course, meaningless also has the intention behind it that life has no sense, makes no sense, has no purpose apart from God. But life goes quick. And some of you are thinking, you know, once we acquire this thing, once that debt is paid off, once the kids obey, once the dog stops peeing in the house, then we can really start living. Look, life has a lot of work. And you and I can literally schedule ourselves into exhaustion. And that leaves little time for relationships, especially for the one that we need to build upon the most. My hope and prayer for all of us, and especially those who are married, is that we will spend more time building on that relationship with your best friend, your spouse. Begin to build in more time away with your spouse, more date nights, more energized work in your marriage of face-to-face. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.